All right, how you guys doing tonight? All right, we are getting so close to the end of Romans. Man, it feels like we've, uh, we've been in the book of Romans for a long, long time. But uh, in fact, it's been, uh, it's been 17 weeks right now. This is the 17th week that we've been going through the book of Romans. I hope you've been enjoying it. Um, for those of you who are newer here or maybe you're just kind of playing catch up on where we are, um, today, tonight, we're going to be talking about chapter 15. Now, there's 16 chapters in Romans, so we're really kind of coming to the point here where Paul is, is really making his final pleas, his final exhortations, like, now that you've known everything I've written in this letter, like any good letter or paper that we write, right, the last paragraph is, okay, now that you know all these things, here's what I want you to do with this. And this, this is where we are in this letter. So the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Rome. Now, keep in mind, the church in Rome's doing pretty good, okay? They've, they've established themselves um, probably with some disciples who were, who were at, in Jerusalem at Pentecost in the upper room when the tongues of flame came upon. And then as they dispersed, in part because the Apostle Paul was a tyrant at that time, um, so they dispersed and went all over the place, and some of them ended up in Rome. And they founded this church. And church is going pretty good. So this isn't one of those letters that Paul's writing to really correct some bad behavior or correct some false doctrine or anything that they're, that they're teaching. He's really encouraging them. And he's trying to help them see a deeper meaning behind what they know. So what they know in their hearts is accurate and it's sound but there's always another level. How many of you know that Jesus spent a lot of time trying to tell us, hey, it's not just about the letter of the law, it's about what's in your heart. It's about how your heart responds to what you read. It's how your heart responds to what the Holy Spirit tells you. So that's where we are. So going up to this point, we've talked about how salvation is really a gift from a loving and graceful God. You can't earn it. There's nothing you could do. You're not good enough. There's nothing you could do to earn that, but God in his grace and his mercy offers it to you. And really our response is just to say yes and just to accept that gift. But then, since God has rescued you, if you're a believer, God has rescued you from certain destruction because that's the path we were all headed down until Jesus. So God rescued us from that destruction. So our response to that rescue should be to live our every life, our every life, our every day on purpose. Live our life intentionally in thanks as somebody who's been rescued from destruction, right? That's, that ought to be our response to that. So if we fast forward now, we've gone through the entire letter, and that's basically where Paul has been going. And then we get to chapter 12. Chapter 12, then, he starts to talk about some practical ways that this looks in your life. Here's how you should really live this out. Here's what this means to you. Now remember, most of these guys that are in this church in Rome kind of remember the tyrant Paul. And he's writing this letter having never been there. He didn't visit them. He didn't found that church like so many of the other churches that he writes letters to. He didn't found that church. But he does have, have apostolic authority, and he's writing under that authority. But think about if you're a member of this church, and this guy who your last memory of him was that he was a horrible person, if you met him at all, 
And here he is writing this letter telling you how you should act. It's kind of difficult mindset. And so when we read through these chapters, Paul states things and then he restates them and then he says them again and he says them again. He does a lot of going back, referring to Old Testament scripture to say, look, this is not me saying this. This is what the word of God says and what it has always said. The scripture that you have studied since you were born practically, this is where this comes from. It's not just him. So he goes, he's very careful to do that. And we get up to chapter 12, Chapter 12, the very last thing that he talked about in chapter 12, remember this was a few weeks ago, but he said this in chapter 12, 21, he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So just in case you've read the previous 11 chapters or 11 and a half chapters, and you've been thinking, where's he going with this? What is this about? He really puts a point on it, and he says, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good, to me, says this is a battle. This is a spiritual battle against the forces of evil, the forces of darkness, and this is why he's writing this letter. So each chapter stands alone in terms of what it's teaching and what it's talking about, but seen as a whole, his whole point is overcome evil with good. And so that's where we are now. So that's chapter 12. Then after all this, Paul goes in and he gives us his therefore. Remember, whenever you're reading the word and you see something that says therefore or now that or because of, you always have to look back at what was said before because this is kind of a linking thought, right? Now, again, now that you know all this stuff, here's what I want you to do with it. And so this is where we are. So in Romans 13, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Okay, owe nothing to anyone except to love your neighbor. It's a spiritual battle, overcome evil. Then the very next chapter, therefore, linking thoughts, right? He says, don't owe anything to anybody except to love them. Okay, so follow along with me here. Last week, Pastor Gabe taught. Thank you so much. I think she did a fantastic job. Anybody else? Man. It's the first time in church I've heard the term zip it. I don't think I ever heard that in any kind of a message before. But I loved it. So she taught. She was in Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 14, one of the things that she she, uh, taught about was this, and I'll just read it to you. It says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Okay, that's out of the NLT version, which, which is really conversational. It's kind of an easy one to read. But so given all that, are you starting to sense a theme? Are you starting to kind of sense a theme and a point? Now, I already gave you the hint, right? Spiritual warfare, spiritual battles, right? But there's kind of an underlying theme of this whole chapter. Anybody? You'll never get it, so I'll tell you. Here's what it is. Maybe, just maybe, it's not all about you. Did you ever think about that? George never does. George is the holiest person I know. How many times do we live our life based on what's convenient for us, what's good for us, 
what's profitable for us, what we can do, what we're not too tired to accomplish, what we're not afraid to do. It's kind of human nature. We filter almost all of our decisions through what's in it for me. Now, I don't mean that to sound harsh, but that's just the reality. What's in it for me? I know I want to volunteer in this ministry or start a new ministry or go share the gospel with somebody, but I don't know. It means I have to miss my favorite show, The Avalanche are playing tonight. I'm going to miss that. I'm going to, you know, I'll have to put myself out there and maybe, just maybe, something will come back at me and I'll end up getting myself in trouble or myself outcast from my friends. We kind of filter our decisions through what's in it for us. But it isn't all about us. In fact, it's about the devil, really. And it's a spiritual battle for the devil to discourage you from doing those things that Jesus Christ has called you to do. So Christ has a plan for you. He died, gave himself for you, to give you the Holy Spirit, to give you everything you need to equip you with the Holy Spirit to accomplish what you are called by God to do. That's done. Okay, that happened on the cross, done. Now what happens though? The devil comes in. The devil wants to take your every thought. Remember we talked about the renewed mind a while ago. The renewed mind is where the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you, give you direction. But every time you think you got that direction and you're like, okay, I think I want to, I think I want to adopt one of those children. I think I want to sponsor one of those children because I'm feeling that tug. What comes next? The enemy floods in and he starts discouraging you. And he says, yeah, $38 isn't a lot, but you add that up over the year, mm, that's a bigger screen TV. We start thinking those things. And I'm not pointing fingers saying that anybody's thinking those things in particular, but that the devil uses those things on us. He wants to discourage us. And it may be something as simple as you've made the decision in your heart. You've said, I am going to step out in it. I'm going to share Jesus with that coworker. I'm going to start a ministry. I'm going to sponsor a child. I'm going to just simply read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. You've made that decision. You've purposed that in your heart. Fantastic. But then the next thing that floods in is a hundred things to discourage you from doing that. And it might be just as simple as you get a flat tire and that throws off your whole plans. Now I'm all dirty and greasy because I had to change a tire and I'm, I'm late to work and I was going to stop by the coffee shop and share Jesus with that person, but eh, I'll do it another day. The enemy wants to take every opportunity to discourage you, discourage you from what God has for you. So this week, as we talk about this, about it not being all about you, that there is a battle, a very real battle that's going on. And last week, you know, again, Gabe said, stop condemning each other. Decide to live in a way that will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Makes you think that simply by minding your own business, you're gonna be all right, right? And Gabe's, Gabe's hashtag, zip it. Just keep your mouth closed. If you can't say anything constructive, just don't, just don't. So you would think, Okay, if I just mind my own business, go about my own thing, I'll be okay. But in this chapter, Paul takes it a step further and he goes, no, no, no. The stakes are too high. 
you can't just sit on the sidelines and watch things happen. You need to take this whole idea a whole step further, and now I'm going to ask you to serve one another. I'm going to actually ask you not only to serve one another, but to actually take on one another's burdens. Who wants to do that? That's hard. So let's get into our first scripture, Romans 15, 1 to 2. Again, New American Standard is the Bible I like to teach out of. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. All right, let's dig into that just a little bit. So remember, this is kind of the, the, the linking thought to that previous chapter. Don't do anything to cause anyone else to stumble. Okay, there is a battle. We need to be in this battle together. So whatever it is that you've got that you want to say that you're just itching to get out there, keep that to yourself. But we need to be on the same team. And he's saying now, now because of that, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Let me break that down into a couple of the Greek words. You know, I like to talk, to bring out some Greek. That word strong, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> that word strong doesn't mean physically strong. doesn't mean we who can lift something or run long distances, it's dynatos, and it means spiritual ability or power in something outside yourself. Specifically means spiritual ability or power outside of yourself. Where do we know that we get that kind of power? We get it from the Holy Spirit. So we have that. So we who have the Holy Spirit, and we are therefore strong in spirit, ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. That word please is a resco, but it, what it means is to win the favor of or win the favor for. So not just win favor for ourselves. What does that say to you? That says to me that your motives matter. That means if you're gonna do something, I'm gonna... I'm going to go help somebody move. I'm going to counsel with somebody. I'm going to help them through a rough time because it'll make me look good. That's what he's saying there. You're not doing anything to win favor for yourself. And then each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Again, win favor for your neighbor for his good to his edification. That word edification is oikodome, which means spiritual advancement. So it's a spiritual thing. Bear the weaknesses of those who are not as spiritually strong as you in order to help advance them, in order to give them opportunity to grow spiritually. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what we're supposed to do. In other words, we're not simply to just tolerate someone else. How many of us have read scriptures like this and, and the ones even before and said, okay, I'm just gonna tolerate them. I'm gonna smile and just let them say whatever they wanna say. A lot of people read it like that, and frankly, if you just read it quickly, kind of did a skim of it, that's what you would think. But that's not what he's saying. Paul is saying this, not just tolerate someone with weaker faith, but to step in and help shoulder their spiritual burdens. Now get this, as if they were your own. 
as if they were your own. Now, question, show of hands, who would rather help somebody move a sofa down three flights of stairs than help them with a spiritual burden? Okay, you guys are highly spiritual because I saw hardly any, any hands. But in truth, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. Because we wanna say, hey, I'll pray for you. Good luck with that. I'll touch base next week and see how you did. Okay, there's value in prayer. Do not hear me wrong. But it can't end there. We're to take those burdens that our brothers and sisters are struggling through, okay? We're to take those on as our own. Does that change the way you think about helping someone who needs help, who needs spiritual help, someone who who is spiritually not in that place where you are? Whether they're weaker because they've just been beat down in battles, they're weaker because they're a new Christian, they're new to their faith and they don't understand For whatever reason, we are to take those burdens as if they were our own. Paul's actually saying, sacrifice yourself if necessary to, fe- to help a fellow soldier in Christ win that battle. There's a saying that's out there that says that a good soldier runs toward a battle and not away from it. Toward a fight and not away from it. I like to think about that because it's so easy to see somebody in a spiritual battle and just say, it looks like somebody else is gonna pray for them. I'll I'll just let that go. And if they need me, they'll come get me. I'm just being honest with you. I've said that myself. But what if you read that, help a fellow soldier in Christ fight his battle and you're thinking, run to the fight, not away. What if you say to yourself, I'm not really a soldier. I'm not really the kind of person that's cut out to be confrontational. I'm not the kind of person that would ever be a soldier. I like to just, I like to just love people. That's okay, but let me share with you a couple definitions that I found. These are out of the Urban Dictionary. Anybody ever mess around with the Urban Dictionary? Okay, sometimes it's crazy. Let me give you the definition, for, according to the Urban de- uh, Dictionary, of a soldier... And then what's the opposite of a soldier? Civilian, right? Let me give you these two definitions. A soldier is a man or woman who selflessly devotes their life to ensure that all citizens can sleep with peace of mind and live out day to day without fear. A soldier fights for your freedom and asks nothing from you in return. I like that. And then conversely, the word civilian. Again, from the Urban Dictionary, civilian is someone who has never been a part of an organized force and is therefore unaware of the right thing to do, uh, what, what, what the right thing to do is when under dangerous conditions. Does that sound like somebody who is spiritually strong versus somebody who is spiritually weaker? Then I don't mean has less faith, has less Holy Spirit. They're just not as mature and strong at that moment in time. Still not convinced? Paul writes another letter. Now, next chapter, we're going to find kind of, uh, Paul gets to go to Rome eventually, and it doesn't always turn out the way that, that he wanted it to. But if we fast forward, Paul has 
gone to Jerusalem. He's, he's, been, he's been attacked there. He's been taken to Rome. And now, now he's in jail in Rome. Okay, this is actually the second time he's in Rome. He writes a letter to Timothy. Okay, Timothy is one of his posse that had been traveling around with him through all of his, uh, all of his missionary journeys. Okay, Timothy's spent a lot of time with him. And he's got to be thinking, this guy who I've discipled under, and I'm following this Paul. I've traveled all over the place with him. This is not working out so good for him. I've seen him get thrown out of every good town all along the Mediterranean. I've, I've seen all these things happen to him, and now he's in jail. But Paul writes this to Timothy from jail. It's actually his very last letter that he writes before he's ultimately martyred. We've got it on screen. He says, this is 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, stay out of the affairs and the cares of this world to keep yourself focused. And I want to ask you, who enlisted you as a soldier? Jesus Christ himself is the one who called out to you, who offered himself for you. He's the one that enlisted you. And so you want to worry about who you need to please? You need to please Jesus. That's where our focus ought to be. Not in, not in am I going to get ostracized at work? Is it, am I going to not be able to go into that coffee shop anymore if I share Jesus with them and they say, get out of here, you freak, and now i got to pick another coffee shop, and you know how hard a good coffee shop is to find, unless you go here. <laughs> like seamless, right? Just put that right in there. He's saying don't let yourself become distracted by the cares of the world and by the fears of the world and by, by discouragement and things that come your way. Don't allow that to stop you from your mission. Okay, but now what if you're saying, I've got battles of my own. I literally have battles of my own. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm the one that needs help. I'm in no place to help someone else. I hear that all the time. There are times when I've said that. I just need to recover before I can help someone else. And what, what about, ever heard the phrase, live to fight another day? Live to fight another day. I've heard that all the time. What it means is retreat and run from a fight. It's actually credited to a Greek, Diosthenes was his name, who started a rebellion, started this big giant fight, got everybody, marshaled all these forces, started this battle, and when things started to turn away from him, he ran. So now it's kind of been whitewashed over time, but it was strictly a phrase that was attributed to cowardice shirking your duties and running from it. It's an act of self-preservation. But as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are not given that luxury. We're not given the luxury to retreat and fight another day. This battle is around us all the time. Okay, your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It doesn't say on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 o'clock to 7 p.m., giving you all kinds of off time. All day, every day, the enemy is looking for a foothold in your life. He's looking for a way to get at you. 
and to discourage you from what God has called you to do. All day, every day. That's what he does. All he can lie, all he can do is lie and discourage and cheat and make you think he's way more powerful than he really is. But he's good at it. And he uses discouragement and he uses other people oftentimes to bring that discouragement and turn us away from it. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, again, that's Paul writing to, to the church in Galatia. Now, pop quiz, what is the law of Christ? I heard one, anybody else? Love one another. Love the Lord your God. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself to be, to be accurate. And Paul reminds them, he goes on after this, and he, and he reminds them that Christ himself modeled this. This is the very, um, very thing that Christ did while he was here on earth. So Romans 15, verses 3 and 4, for even Christ did not please himself. Again, remember, please in that context means to, to win favor for yourself. He didn't do anything to win favor for himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Remember in this version, when it's all caps like that, that's Old Testament scripture. Okay, this is from uh, Psalm, I think Psalm 69. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That word hope translates as the Greek word elpizo, and elpizo is a certainty. We have watered down the word hope so much. It's like a roll of the dice. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I hope it will. This means a certainty. So you have a certainty of the promises in the scripture so that through persevering, we'll have the encouragement of the scriptures. That's what that means. Okay, and we can be certain then in this case of promises like this one. Going all the way back to the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Paul wrote this, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. You don't have to watch out for yourself. You don't have to watch your own back. God's got your back, and he always has. Your job is to love one another and to encourage and help up and build your neighbor. Anybody ever seen, I looked for a good picture and I couldn't find it, but back in, in Rome, when, when the Romans were fighting, a big tactic that they used was called a phalanx. You ever heard of a phalanx? And what a phalanx was, if you've watched uh, the 300 or you've watched Gladiator, you've probably seen it. And what that means, you take a row of soldiers and each soldier has a spear or a sword and a shield. And you hold that shield in your left hand so that you can thrust and you can fight with your right hand. But your shield in your left hand is not to defend you, okay? Because you're thrusting. Your shield in your, in your left hand is protecting your neighbor to your left. And that phalanx all the way down is dependent on I can thrust, I can fight because I know my neighbor is defending me with his shield. 
So I'm free to fight and free to pay attention to where I need to. My shield in my left hand will protect my neighbor to the left. It was the most, for a period of almost 400 years, it was the absolute most effective fighting tactic that there was. They could get in a row of hundreds of soldiers in a phalanx and just march forward and just mow down everything in front of them because they supported one another. They weren't concerned about their own defense because their neighbor was worried about that. That's where we're supposed to be. So why why do we spend so much time tearing down our Christian brothers and sisters with little arguments, with little like things to just show how much we know compared to how much they know? Or I'll pray for you. I just I think you're off spiritually. I'll just pray for you and let you go. What we're doing is we're just saying, I think you're wrong spiritually. I'm just gonna turn you over to the devil and see what he does. That's what we're saying. That's not taking that spiritual burden as your own. That's what Paul is saying, that we're supposed to do this. But we can't do that. We can't fight a common enemy. We certainly can't have each other's back if we're all fighting separate missions. We have one enemy, and that's the devil. Okay, politician or your neighbor who's not a believer or the person who's rabidly anti-Christian that you work with or at school or wherever it is, that's not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. And if we spend all our time in all these other battles that are pointless, we're gonna lose. You will lose 100% of the battles you don't know you're in. So I'm trying to bring an awareness here that we are in a battle. And we can't win if we're not in step with each other, if we're not fighting together. Okay, so that the logical question that I've, I can already tell some of you are thinking about this thing, aren't we as Christians supposed to rebuke and correct one another? Aren't we supposed to? How many well-meaning Christians have, have torn down another Christian brother or sister over some meaningless little argument to prove that they're right about something? And maybe their heart was in the right place. I'm just trying to keep you from the flames of hell, brother. Maybe your heart's in the right place. But Paul writes to Titus. This is earlier in, in the time frame of things, about four years or so earlier than this. But he writes to Titus, and this is chapter 2, verses 7, 8. He says, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent, the devil, will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. See, the devil loves to get us fighting amongst ourselves because now non-Christians or those who are weaker or newer in their faith will see that and say, why do I want to be a part of that? They tear themselves down just the same as everybody else does. Why would I want to be a part of that and give up my Sundays? But then Paul goes on just a little bit later, same, uh, same letter to Titus. This is chapter 3. Again, he's finishing that thought there, and he says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So he says, be pure in your your doctrine. Be dignified in your speech. Be beyond reproach. Be 
be doctrinally correct in what you say so you don't give the enemy any foothold to accuse. But very next thing he says is avoid these foolish things that don't do anything. They're unprofitable and they're worthless. So I want to give you a little tip. Here's how you know. Because yes, there is scripture that says we are to rebuke if necessary, correct, hold Christian brothers and sisters accountable for the things that they say, for their doctrine, for the things that they do. Yes, we are. But there's very finite, and I'll teach on this another time, but very finite set of circumstances where we're called to do that. And here they are. Number one, is this person a Christian? Because if they're not a Christian, don't. What are we supposed to do for those who are not Christians? What's, what's our response to them? We love them. That's it. You're not going to share fire and brimstone. You're not going to share uh, a certain damnation. You're, not, you're certainly not going to share covenant blessings and these sorts of things. You're just going to love them. That's your job. Share the love of who Christ is with them. Number one, is this person a Christian? Number two, do I have a relationship with this person? Do I have a relationship with them? Do I know them? You're not going to walk up to somebody on the street and start correcting their doctrine. It's just that simple. Next one, and a very important one, have they given me permission to speak into their life? Okay, so just because you know them, they're, they're a brother, a sister, a relative, a good friend, you have a relationship with them, did they give you permission to speak into their life? Because if they didn't, the devil will use that for discouragement and for strife and for argument. And it's gonna be what Paul says here to Titus, that it's unprofitable. Next one, is this a salvation issue? Think twice before correcting someone on things that aren't salvation issues, okay? We don't, we don't do communion the same way that a lot of churches do. We don't do baptisms the way that a lot of churches do. Okay, the Bible says to do it, but it doesn't list out a here's how it's done. So we do it in what feels good to us in the spirit. That is what we call a, 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 a negotiable or, or a non, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, it's a negotiable. It's not essential. It's not essential. There are a short list of essentials, and yes, those things, we need, to, we need to stand firm on those. But then the last question that you need to ask yourself before you correct or try and, try and rebuke somebody, is this profitable for them? Not for you. Is this going to make you look good? Is it going to make you look smart? If I correct you, if I correct your doctrine, if I tell you where you're off, if I hold you accountable, if I point out sin in your life, is it going to be profitable for you or for me? Going all the way back to the earlier scripture, is it going to build up and strengthen their faith or just make you look smart? Because that's not what we're ever called to do. So Paul understands the, the hidden dangers of all this bickering. Now, remember this church in Rome is made up of, of a lot of intellectuals, and intellectuals at that time kind of called themselves Greeks, okay? Whether they were Greek actually or not, if you were a Greek, you were an intellectual. 
And remember, they like to, the Greeks like to go to the forum and debate, just endlessly debate and argue and, and bicker about little things. It was, it was sport for them. And Paul knows this, but he's saying, look, I, I know you guys love to argue. I know that you like to get in your groups and just debate all these little nitpicky details. I know you love to do that, but that is not what you should be doing with each other. It's dangerous. Romans 15, five and six. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, the same mind. We are of the same mind through the renewed mind that is given to us when we accept Jesus, okay? We work in that renewed mind, so we have ultimately the Holy Spirit who's gonna, should testify to all of us what truth is. So we, if we're listening to the Holy Spirit and we're accepting his guidance and not going in our own understanding, our, our mind ought to be more or less the same when it comes to doctrine or spiritual matters. Ought to be. But here's the important part. That with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God the Father. People need to see Christians glorifying God in the same voice and the same way. All these denominational splits and all these things that have happened over the centuries have done nothing to further the church. But they've done an awful lot to tear it down. They've done a lot to tear it down. We need to, with one voice, keep our eyes, our minds, and our mouths focused where it belongs. And that's on Christ Jesus and what he has done through us. Okay, so the next, the next verse, so therefore, it's one of these therefores, Romans 15, 7, therefore accept one another just also, or just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Christ accepted you where you are with all your flaws and all, your, all the mistakes that you make. Christ accepted you, therefore, accept one another. He didn't put any conditions on you. He didn't say, hey, go to seminary, get yourself straight with your doctrine, and then come to me. He didn't care where you were. He just wanted your heart. That's the kind of acceptance that we need to have to one another. So if we're in the next 10 verses, okay, Paul spends 10 verses here basically talking to them that you do have one reason to boast, okay, I'm careful using the word pride because as we'll talk about when we get into our next series, pride is a, is a spirit. Pride is a demon spirit. But he gives us permission to boast as long as our boasting is in the right thing. And here's what he says, Romans 15, 17, 18. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, meaning they're watching you. Are you talking about how good you are and how smart you are and how, how many classes you've gone to and how much studying you've done and how spiritually righteous you are? Because he's saying that's not gonna do it. You boast in what Jesus has done through you. 
And that is what's going to result in the obedience of the Gentiles, which is what Paul's called to. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. That was his calling. So in other words, to put it all in in perspective here, focus on what Christ has done, keep your head in the battle, and you can't go wrong. So there's all these battle analogies, right? And, and I feel like that's what God wanted to pinpoint to me out of this is all these battle analogies. But as I said, you will lose all the battles you don't realize you're in. So if you don't think it's a battle, you're destined to lose it. You need to understand that this is spiritual warfare going on all day, every day. In two weeks, next week we wrap up Romans, and in two weeks I'm going to do another series, and this series will be 100% on spiritual warfare calling it angels and demons, the invisible battlefield. Okay, we're going to spend probably six weeks or so in that because it's so important to me that we understand that we are in a battle. That's not all rosy and let's all hug and sing kumbaya. That's not what it is. So to boil down all of Romans to this point, and I'll wrap it up here really quick. Worship team, you guys can start getting ready. So to boil it down, this is my synopsis of all the chapters leading up to this. We're in a fight every day between what we know is right and what our flesh wants. So don't let the devil win. Spoil his plans by loving one another instead of judging. Live your life to glorify God by following Jesus' example of putting others before yourself. Church, that's all, that's all that Paul has written to the Romans so far. Boils down to that. So if you remember nothing else, remember that. So there's a daily battle, not just for your soul, but for all of God's children. I want to ask you, who's going to fight this battle? Who's going to fight it? Is it going to be me? Are you going to look to me? Are you going to look to, to Weston or our prayer ministry? Are they going to fight the battle for you? What about that super holy spiritual guy that you know? Or gal? Our prayer should be the very same one that the prophet Isaiah prayed when he said, here I am, send me. We are in the crosshairs and it's our job to shoulder the spiritual burdens of those that we come in contact with. Not tear each other down. Build each other up in Christ. Support and encourage. That's what we're for. That's why we gather together in a church like this to support and encourage. And so when we do greeting times and after service, I want to encourage you, not don't just bolt for the door because you got some place to be. When we go into our response, the worship team's going to play on. Let the Holy Spirit show you, pinpoint somebody in this crowd that needs your encouragement. Because if you ask him, he'll lead you to someone. And then it's our job to not be discouraged and not say, oh, they're going to be weirded out by me. If the Holy Spirit pinpoints somebody, it's our job to be bold and fight that battle by shouldering their spiritual burdens. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. That helps them win the battle and that helps them grow in their faith. That's our job, church. So I'm gonna pray to close. We're gonna go into communion after that. So if you haven't been here in a while or or you're new here, we do communion a couple ways. At the crosses, we've got stations where there's juice and bread and crackers, and you can just dip into the juice. We'll have, my wife and I will be serving up here. We have wine. Same thing, you just dip it into there. 
let's do this, though, with, with thankful hearts for what Jesus did for us, but also repentant hearts of maybe places where our minds and our hearts haven't been in step with what Jesus is calling us to do. Places where we've maybe let our pride start sneaking in. Places where our attitudes, we've allowed them to cause division in the body. Maybe a place where we just know right now, I didn't put someone else first. Because ultimately it's that easy. Are you putting someone else ahead of yourself? Jesus served and that's what we're supposed to do. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for, we thank you that you sent the Apostle Paul to write this letter so that 2,000 years later, we can go back and we can see your heart for these people. See that your heart has always been for us and not against us. Lord, we repent corporately of anything that we have done to tear down the works of Jesus Christ. Anything that we have done to give the enemy footholds in someone else's life. Anything that we have done to discourage a fellow Christian. Someone who wants desperately to know Jesus, but through our pride or through our actions or through our inactions, we have allowed the enemy to swoop in. The video earlier said where, where goodness doesn't uh, step in, darkness thrives. Our job is to bring the light. Are we bringing the light? Father, we thank you and we just pray that you use us. Use us. Here we are. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
see this fight from your victory No power of hell can stand against me Cause I've seen this fight from your victory Greater things.